Airbnb is a company that is driven by design. New user interfaces are dreamed up by designers and implemented for web, iOS, and Android. This implementation process takes a lot of resources, but it used to take even more resources before the company started using React Native. React Native allows Airbnb to reuse components effectively. React Native works by presenting a consistent model for the user interface, regardless of the underlying platform, and React Native emits a log of changes to that user interface so that the underlying platform can translate those changes into platform-specific code. Leland Richardson is an engineer at Airbnb. In today's episode, he explains how Airbnb uses React Native, how React Native works, and the future of the platform. This was a great episode. It's a deep dive into React Native, and I think you'll like it. If you're curious about finding specific episodes of Software Engineering Daily, I recommend checking out our new topic feeds in iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. We have sorted all 500 of our old episodes into categories like business or blockchain or machine learning. We've got a greatest hits feed that I endorse strongly. It's got all of the curated best episodes. If you've had trouble finding the episodes to listen to, like many people, that's why we made these topic feeds. Whatever specific area of software you're curious about, we have a feed for you. And you can check the show notes for more details. I would love feedback on this. If you have more ideas for what we can do to improve, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Leland Richardson is a software engineer at Airbnb. Leland, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. Today we're going to talk about React Native and cross-platform development and some of the technologies that you've been building at Airbnb. So let's start off with the canonical question of cross-platform development, which is, so Airbnb has to be written three times for web and Android and iOS, or at least it did prior to starting to work with React Native. So how did this process work before React Native? For the companies that are out there that are still writing web and Android and iOS apps to maintain cross-platform capabilities, what are they doing and what, what, what breaks down in that process? Yeah, so most companies kind of have those three targets. You have web, Android, and iOS. Some might have additional targets like a desktop app or Windows phone, things like that. And so what what you find is that a lot of times when you're writing these clients for different targets, that you're actually writing more or less the same code every time, but you can't, you can't share that code because you're using different technologies, different languages and things like that. And, and Airbnb, like pretty much every other company has been in that position and and still for the most part is. React Native is starting to change that a little bit, but just to to be clear, Airbnb is not 100% written in React Native. It's still still a pretty small minority of of the product that's written in it. And right now we use React Native for, for just iOS and Android cross-platform development. And we're starting to explore using it for web as well. Hmm. So what 
are the problems that arise when this engineering process is siloed by platform? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I mean, there's I think a lot of people view it as just sort of the way things are and the way things ought to be. Mm-hmm. It, it's just kind of been that way for so long. We we've had some other cross-platform technologies, but for the most part, people have kind of come to terms with that. They usually just don't work all that well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what can come up with that until recently, Airbnb was we we kind of had these product teams that worked on specific product silos. So you might have one team that works on payments, another team that works on search, you know, things like that. And the way that traditionally kind of worked out was those teams, the the product engineers on those teams were either back-end engineers or front-end web engineers. And then we would have uh, individual Android and iOS teams. And so you ended up having this really big communication problem where we we didn't have enough iOS or Android engineers to kind of spread them across the whole organization, but they still kind of needed to build the whole product. And so you, you ended up having a lot of sort of firsthand knowledge that the web engineer might have that would have to then get transferred to the iOS and Android engineer. And it resulted in basically a lot of features that, that weren't fully implemented on, on the native apps or, or at least like some sort of lag in terms of when they would get implemented. And you, you essentially have the whole organization kind of fighting for these limited native engineering resources. Mm-hmm. When React Native first came out, it did not claim to solve the problem of siloing, but it did offer some improvements in communication and information sharing and cured some of the process of this cross-platform disaster. And over time, it's gotten better. Explain how React Native changes the development process for cross-platform developers. Yeah, so when when React Native first came out, the kind of tagline they, they chose was learn once, write anywhere which is sort of a play on the the kind of the the java historical java timeline which is like write once run anywhere. And so the idea was they they were trying to kind of say like hey we're not trying to do that exactly. That what what we're saying is we we have this kind of paradigm, this way of writing UI and writing applications which is essentially the the javascript and react stack if you will. And basically saying we can take that and we can we can write each each application in that stack or in that paradigm even if we might have to write it twice or three times or whatever that because we've only had to because we're using the same stack every time we're we're able to share the same kind of engineer to do that you can have the same person implementing it in all three areas and they might have all of the the product context of of how to build that application and things like that. And so initially that was that was kind of the the selling point. And I think that 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 worked out really well. What's really interesting though is you have this effect where before you had you you maybe wrote it three times, but you had three different engineers writing it then or or the people writing it for iOS 
weren't the same people writing it for Android, weren't the same people writing it for web. But once those start to become the same people, then all of a sudden the the sort of pain of of that duplication starts to feel all the more real. And so you start writing you start writing it for the you know the on on web and you start writing it on on iOS and Android for for React Native and then you realize just just how similar those two applications are and you realize that there aren't the the number of kind of differences that you bake in due to the platform in a lot of products is actually incredibly small it's just the technology that you're using that that ends up making the the code different and so once you make the technology stack the same it starts to kind of eke at your inner inner engineer that doesn't want to repeat you know the code that you're writing all day so you you kind of get this interesting effect where you're you're doing less work than you were before but for that individual engineer it might actually feel more painful so what you're describing is when a company like Airbnb goes from writing the app on native iOS, native Android, and React on the web, or any JavaScript framework really, to a place where they're writing a React native app that can basically be deployed to iOS and Android, and building a React app on web, you go from three platforms to two platforms, so that's good, but the downside is it lets you identify just how inefficient things are. Yeah, exactly. Right. So at this point, you would have React Native, a React Native app that suits iOS and Android, and you've got React and, and JavaScript on the web. What What's the difference between those two environments? Why can't I just port my code easily from one to the other. Yeah, th- this is a this is a problem that I've been kind of focused on and thinking a lot about lately, but the the differences end up being really important but really subtle. And so you you can kind of identify that the code you're writing is effectively the same like in the way that you care, but you can't just kind of copy and paste things over and rename things. It's not quite the same. And for application logic, maybe a, a lot of it is, but for UI logic, you, you end up in, in some places where you don't realize how, how you're depending on, on the platform. And so typically when you write a React web application, you're kind of directly targeting HTML. And so your React components are going to be rendering directly, they're going to be returning these uh, HTML elements like div and span and h1 and h2 and things like that. What's what's interesting about React Native or about React is that you're not actually using the browser APIs when you're writing those components, but you are targeting them. So that div or span in in your JavaScript code is actually just a string, but that string is eventually going to to turn into a, a, a div on on your actual website. And in, in the React Native world, you don't work in, in div and span and h1s and things like that. They have a different set of primitives, like view and text and image. And there there are a couple more, but those are kind of the core 
the core UI primitives. And the UI primitives for React Native feel very similar to the ones on the web, but there are a couple of important differences. And one of them is, is the layout algorithm. And so when you start writing divs and spans or views and text, you're, you're implicitly relying on the way those things get laid out very, very intimately. And it's very important for building the actual UI that you want to look at later on. And React Native early on chose to implement Flexbox, a, a subset of, of the full CSS spec that the web builds. And so you have access to the Flexbox layout algorithm on the web, but it's not the default algorithm. And so React Native kind of works on this subset of CSS. And so if you want to, if you want to write cross-platform code, you have to, you have to essentially build the equivalent of these React Native primitives that have the same constraints that the ones in React Native do. And so you then sort of constrain yourself to using the Flexbox layout algorithm, which actually is a, is a very, uh, it's a very nice layout algorithm. It's a little bit newer in the, in the web spec, and so it's not used as often, but it, it covers a lot, of, a lot of things, like a lot of UI paradigms that, that used to be very hacky and like hard to do are very easy to accomplish with Flexbox. So then what's the, the current status of bridging that gap between my React Native for iOS and Android app and the React app on the web. I mean, are, are there is the current status quo is it good enough to bridge that gap? Is this a problem that's going away? I think it really at the moment. I think that it depends maybe on your use case and what sort of browser support you need and what your sort of constraints are. Right now, there's a there's a library that's written by Nicholas Gallagher from Twitter called called React Native Web. And it's essentially a, a set of the React Native APIs that React Native exports implemented for the web. And among those are what I sort of call the, the primitives and are sort of, I think, the most important ones, which are view text image, style sheet, touchable and animated. And, and we don't really have to know exactly what all of those do, but you can build most interfaces with just those six, six primitives. And so React Native Web does a, a great job of implementing these on the web. And actually, uh, Twitter Lite, the, the new PWA that, that Twitter put out for, for mobile Twitter.com, is built on top of React Native Web. And so this is, this is being used in, in sort of production scale in some places. But you should be very aware of, like, there are some performance implications to to using these these primitives uh, relative to just using like div and span directly, and that that Nicholas and and other people in the community like me are are sort of currently working on trying to tighten that gap in in terms of performance and kind of remove that as as an issue. Is there runtime performance issues? Yes. Okay. Um, so oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I mean, do you want to talk about them a little, little bit? Yeah, well, I was, I was just going to say, I, I think that, you know, more and more the, there's an importance of the ability to keep your JavaScript bundle small. The, the JavaScript parse and execution times 
of like old Android phones is is really bad. And so I think with with frameworks like this, especially where the typical use case for React Native Web at the moment might be for writing actual mobile websites. And so it's pretty relevant yeah. to keep those those times as 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 fast as possible. And so I, I think that there's there's still a lot of improvement that can be made there, but I'm I'm pretty excited for for where it's headed. Mm. So to clarify what we're talking about here, I think we should go into the a discussion of React Native APIs and what that actually means. So there's all these different APIs that you can use in React Native, and I know that you wrote a script to find the most frequently used APIs, and I know you, you found that these seven APIs that you mentioned were the the top ones, and they accounted for something like 80, 85% or something. But I, I guess before we go there, we should talk about what that even means. What is a React Native API? Yeah, there's a, a JavaScript library called React, which is uh, one of the dependencies of React Native. And so React Native and React are not are not like siblings of one another. React Native is kind of an all-encompassing framework, whereas React is just a, a, a JavaScript library that, that React Native itself depends on. And so you can look at React Native as a, a set of, of APIs that you can use in JavaScript to target to target like native apps, and so the, the the actual JavaScript that's running is run in a in a JavaScript virtual machine that's actually running on your device, like in the app, and that JavaScript is then communicating with like me- simple message passing across across what we call the bridge in in React Native from from the JavaScript context into the native uh, context. And that communication layer kind of amounts to all of all of the APIs that you would typically need to, to build a, a mobile app. And so React Native itself has tried to kind of build these small APIs for every, not every, but for a lot of the, the typical app use cases. And that Sometimes that's like a UI thing, like view and text are some of the UI components, but there's also things like switch and text box, scroll view, things like that. But there's also non-UI components. And so there's like a, there's a network information API, there's an internationalization API, there's a geolocation API, there's a network layer, there's things like that that aren't really React related. But they're just APIs that that React Native exposes to you by default. We should clarify here how React and React Native and JavaScript are running on, for example, iOS. You know, people think of iOS typically as Swift code or Objective C code, and for React Native there is this bridge to getting to be able to interoperate with an iOS app, for example. And we've done a lot of shows about this, so people can listen back if they want to hear about this discussion in more detail. But maybe you could give an overview for, before before we go back to the React Native APIs in particular, how is React Native 
this thing that interacts with a traditionally Swift or Objective-C app in the case of iOS? Yeah, sure. So on, on iOS, it's it's actually pretty pretty easy. The Apple actually includes in the operating system a JavaScript core API. And so when I say JavaScript core, what that is is a JavaScript virtual machine, a JavaScript runtime that uh, Apple has made on top of WebKit. And so that's packaged with the operating system. So if you're if you're writing an app, you can you can like instantiate an instance of JavaScript core and you can inject JavaScript code into it and it, and it will run. And that that's essentially entirely how React Native works. They've built a what we call the bridge, which is essentially just a message queue, a bidirectional message queue across uh, across this JavaScript core interface where you can inject objects into or, or messages into the, the JavaScript runtime, and then the runtime can pass messages back to the native runtime. And they, they've essentially created a, a, a very lightweight protocol to turn those messages into actual commands uh, that result in in UI and in things being drawn to the app and and doing actual native things. So when I write a component in for React Native, what's happening is that component is getting, I guess, processed by that JavaScript virtual machine, and then it's passing messages over that bridge to the the native code, I guess. Yeah. So. This is actually, I think, one of the one of the more innovative kind of pieces of the React JavaScript library that that maybe people don't uh, quite get if they they're just casual React users. So Re- React is a way of it, like building up your uh, application as a set of components that are essentially functions that take in uh, a set of of props uh, like some data and then output. A description of what the corresponding UI might look like provided that data, and it's important to understand that that like literally is just a description, so it's not the actual UI, and so it, it's just turning this UI into serializable data, and and then the React library looks at that data, and so this this data a lot of people refer to it as the virtual DOM. And so the React library itself looks at the at any state in time. It looks at the this data and compares it to what it looked like earlier and finds the differences. And whenever there are differences, it turns that into a, a command. So a command would be like uh, create view or update view or add child, remove child, move child, things like that. And so those commands are essentially like a serialized list of instructions. And that, that kind of works that way in React Web for the browser. But it, it turns out that you can, these in, instructions are pretty much generalizable. And so you can, you can instead take these instructions and pass them to uh, an iOS application and have them create UI views and, and like kind of instrument the view with those instructions instead of browser like dom elements basically an event log of 
changes to a UI and it's basically platform agnostic because you just have this event log of of changes that should be made and whether it's whether those changes are being communicated to an Android client or to an iOS client or to a web client or to a VR client you have the same sorts of operations that you want to do and you leave it to the underlying platform to translate that event log into actual UI. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, th- so that that settles for me the decoupling because then, okay, we're just talking about like, what are you wanting to do at the React Native layer to best create this event log of stuff that's going to turn into native UI components. So you've got these seven fundamental APIs that we're going to build a user interface through. You've got components, layout, interaction, animation, and branching. Wait, I'm sorry. No, those are sorry. Those are the the. I, I should I should have said this more clearly. Okay, so you've got these seven APIs, and then you categorize them. You informally categorize them as as. APIs that fall into the category of either components or layout or interaction or animation or branching, these different like kind of adjectives that you want to classify these APIs as. Maybe you could talk again about those seven APIs and why you classify them in these in these different ways and kind of how they fit into these different classifications. And I should I should emphasize the, I think these are informal classifications that you've basically kind of described them as. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe uh, it'd be good. I, I don't know if we've kind of explicitly said it, but the, the seven APIs we're, we're talking about are the, the APIs that I've kind of dubbed as the, the primitives. Uh, released a, a library called React Primitives that has these seven APIs. And it, it's important to understand that this this library called React Primitives is kind of just an interface. It, it's just an, it's just a concept. So there's actually in that library there's no implementation. And so what I what I've tried to identify is that the real trick here is really just identifying what what the valuable primitive interfaces are and what the like what that kind of I mean like what what they actually represent because React kind of does the hard part of really decoupling this entire like application code from the underlying platform. And so now that we have that, that decoupling, React Native is a really good example of these core APIs being implemented on two like relatively dissimilar platforms, iOS and Android, but al- allowing them to achieve like very, very similar results. And all, all we've done, uh, or all, Nicholas Gallagher with React Native Web has done is created that same interface for the web as as another platform, and I think I think of the web as just another platform. I think that there are many more, some some that we may not even have invented yet, but may be invented in coming years. That I think this could be an important concept for. Yeah, and I think one way to illustrate the importance of the concept is that in computer science classes, if you take them in college, or actually if you go to a coding boot camp too, you learn about these core data structures like linked list or array or hash map. 
And so we've kind of like settled on these core primitives that we use to build application logic. And like those haven't really changed much in a pretty long time. Everybody uses hash maps. Everybody uses linked lists. Everybody talks about the trade-offs with these things. But we never really had a good way of talking about UI, like a like kind of a hierarchy. And it seems like where we're going with in you know, you you identify this this well in this in these seven APIs. Like these are the seven API primitives that you're gonna build your rich interfaces with. Much like you know, whatever platform you're building for, you're gonna use hash maps. Yeah, that's that's a really great great analogy. Yeah, I think hits it right on the nose. What the the way I kind of you know came about this is like I, I don't wanna like seem like I'm I'm just this, you know, academic who said, I think these are the you know, these are the primitives. In reality, it's React Native that kind of went through the hard work of choosing them, but but React Native is massive. So there there are like 73 APIs that that React Native exports. But when I started building applications with React Native, something kind of emerged from it, which was the the realization I, I created a, a pretty expansive component library for Airbnb, like roughly like 100 components or something, and I realized that at the end of it, I I almost only used those seven APIs. Like there was there was very little else that I used at at, at the at the core like React Native export level. And those those APIs end up being view text and image, which are all React components that it for for people listening that are kind of used to the web, you can think of them as loosely corresponding to like div span and image. And then the other like kind of really important UI primitive is style sheet, which is essentially the the layout algorithm. So you can think of style sheet as as a proxy for the Flexbox layout algorithm and as a way for defining styles that end up uh, being passed into these core UI components, uh, view text and image. And so those are kind of these like four pieces of UI that are really important. Mm-hmm. And and then there's a, a you need user interaction right so at that point you can kind of describe static UIs but you need some way for the for the user to interact and a powerful kind of abstraction around that I came up with was this idea of touchable and touchable is like you, you can I'm I'm actually considering renaming it to pressable but is is just you can in in React you can wrap things with this pressable component and then they become interactable. You have things like an on press and on long press and things like that that you can get out of it. Touchable actually has an animated kind of interface to it. So you get this kind of animated effect going from from unpressed to pressed. And that, that is part of a dependency to a an API called Animated, which is one of React Native's core APIs, that is a really, really elegant abstraction around animations that has a, a declarative interface that works really, really well with React. And so that that's an API that I've I've also chosen to be included because I think animation is is a, is becoming more and more of an important kind of primitive part of of UI UI design and, and and this does a really good job of it, I think. 
and then there's there's kind of like one last uh, API, which is platform, which I, I I don't even really think of it as a primitive. I think it is uh, just a it's just a utility, and this is just sort of a practical utility to be able to to branch some logic based on platform, uh, which is inevitably needed, you know, at certain times. And that's that's one of the ways that React Native allows you to to branch by platform. But there's another way, which isn't an API per se, but is just the way the packager in React Native works, where you can you can have files with different extensions on them. And I, so I call them platform extensions. And so you can have, you know, a, a, a component like button or something. And so you could have a button.js, but if you wanted to have a different implementation on iOS, you could have a button.ios.js. And so this is just a, a very simple way to take, take modules and have an interface that's the same across all platforms, but with drastically different implementations that that like kind of allow the the developer to very clearly you know demarcate those lines right what's worth pointing out here is that at least today or or when i last reported on react native in detail if you want i mean you, there's there's a number of instances where you're going to want to specify stuff about the platform that you're hitting so that's why it's not just like write your React Native app and it's magically it magically works on iOS and Android. There's certain ambiguities to like when we talk about that event log, there's certain ambiguities where if I if there's a, an event that that is going to cause a change to the virtual DOM, that event might have some ambiguity on specific platforms. So you so this so the plot the idea of a platform extension would resolve that ambiguity, right? You could probably explain this better than I could. So if I'm unifying my app across web and mobile, what role do platform extensions play? So I think I think platform extensions are maybe the most important aspect of, of all of this. I, I think like the the primitives themselves that I've identified are are themselves possible only because of platform extensions. And so they're I, I'm just choosing a, an interface that I want to make very clear, and I think it's an important interface. But it, but basically, I'm choosing that interface, and then the implementation for each platform is completely different in implementation, but the public API is identical. And that's that's a powerful way to to build things at like kind of the bottom of the tree. And so you create these common interfaces at the bottom of the tree and kind of then on top of that you have this like palette of of cross platform components that you can work with but it's actually it's really important at the top of the tree too and so a, a lot of people when i start talking about this you know their their immediate gut reaction is like well you know i don't want my ios app to look the same as my android app or the same as my website and that's like totally fine right I think it's really important that this kind of flavor of cross-platform development is it's opt-in, right? So you can only share what you want to share and not share what you don't want to share. And so you can have different entry points per platform and you can 
you could you could start off with two completely different code bases. You could you could implement both apps completely separately. They might be in the same repo and the same you know folders or whatever, but they could they could have completely separate like zero intersection implementations. And then you might realize like hey, over here we built this one component, and over here we built like pretty much the same exact component. Well, be, because there aren't any because you're using the same the same stack, the same platforms, there's no issues with just deleting one of those files and and using the one, you can just you can just do that. And then you start to realize that, oh, actually a large chunk of my application is is the same. But there there may be really important differences that you want to preserve. And on iOS and Android there are Things like like the navigational model is often quite different. People people on Android maybe want like a slide out drawer. People on iOS maybe want some tabs. Maybe you want like a bottom right, you know, material UI circular create button or something, but you don't want that on iOS. Lots of those decisions can like are perfectly valid decisions to make. And it's important to know that like that's all completely possible here. You can you can make things as different as you want or as the same as you want. The point is that there's no longer this artificial barrier from sharing code that's there only because you're using different technologies. Yeah, and I saw a really good demo that illustrated this that you gave at that React Native Europe talk that I'll put in the show notes, by the way. But it was the demo was like, a VR, like you're in VR and there's just like what looks like a smartphone interface <laughs> floating yeah. in VR. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, I can see, I can see that the thrust there. Okay. It's like, okay, VR is not exactly the same as you, know, you don't necessarily want the same paradigms, but you know, might as well be able to slap your, your smartphone UI code into a VR app. Like there's no reason why that should be complicated and react native allows that you know and and this this is interesting because like you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of react native stuff that's been written at this point and vr has not gotten super popular It'll probably get popular eventually and people will want an easy way to port their code to it and you know that i can see react native naturally you know people who have written react native apps at that point will have a nice time adjusting to that and i know react native vr has been created already. I kind of want to just for a thought experiment and just to kind of hear your thoughts on this, like everybody's getting into AR, like everybody's building their AR platform. Apple released an AR kit already and eventually we'll have glasses that we can see AR components. I know this is pretty speculative, but I'd love to know, I mean, what would be the process of, just to like walk me through how somebody writes a bridge between react react sorry react native and a new platform because like when a new platform comes out or we could even be talking about react native for cars or like whatever that would mean what is the process for writing like for getting the bridge necessary to to hit a new platform and i i think ar is a good example because ar looks somewhat like the platforms that we deal with today. Yeah. Yeah, it could be it could be more or less involved depending on kind of what 
what you're able to do on whatever platform that that lives on. So if the platform that that runs on, you know, can run C++ for instance, then it's probably not like that 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 like in and of itself kind of saves you a lot of trouble because one, you know, most of the the JavaScript runtimes are C++ based. So you could throw in like JavaScript core and and run it on with, with C++ and then React Native now itself is built on a cross-platform C++ bridge. And so you can actually have the bridge implementation too, sort of for free. And and then once you have that, you basically have, you have the environment that your JavaScript code is going to run on. And then you have this like kind of message implementation. And and so then once you have that, basically what, what you would need to create is kind of the what what in react native we call the the native modules and so you you would want to create like an implementation of the view and of the text and things like that and once that kind of comes in you you need to start interpreting these like commands that that I was I was calling them earlier and react native has some kind of interfaces that are already defined that you would like probably want to implement as well. Like there's one called UI manager and that, that sort of is the, the react native like renderer on the, on the native side that kind of starts instantiating views and, and things like that. And a big, a big part of that in particular is the layout algorithm. And Again, this is another thing that's kind of been done for you. So you have Yoga now, which is a, a C++ library that, that Facebook has put out, which is the Flexbox algorithm. And so with that, you can, you, you, you have to like kind of wire that up to whatever view system you'd be using. So if this was like a new platform, it might have a new way of, of like laying out views. And so you would need to like tell Yoga how to kind of traverse that view hierarchy. And then like things like measuring text are really important there. So you need to expose a, a method of text measurement and like intrinsic sizes of views and things like that. You know, that's that's like in a nutshell, the that is like what the renderer, is, like that is what React Native is, is um, kind of those things being set up. So it's like a set of native modules one of them being the UI manager, which is a really important one that uh, ends up orchestrating some orchestrating layout with with the usage of yoga, and pretty much all of that. Well, like a- anything below that is like already done for you in C++, uh, which most most like environments that you're going to to dream up like probably have some C++ capabilities. But like, you know, some don't, right? Like, so the web is an example of one where we don't really have the ability to run C++. Mm. But, you know, there's like, you would want to implement those things on the web. But like yoga, for instance, can be compiled to JavaScript via ASM.js. And so right. that, that algorithm can be run on the web, which this is how, this is how React VR works, actually, because React mm. VR, React VR is actually browser-based. And so it uses WebGL and 3JS, but actually runs in JavaScript. So the the code that is in React Native, like running with native code, like Objective-C and C++ in React VR land is just JavaScript. 
Mm. So the WebAssembly route is where C++ runs, like C++ gets compiled or transpiled, I guess, to this small subset of JavaScript functions, and then that's that can that code can run on the browser. So you're saying that's how WebVR works? Or sorry, uh, React VR? Yeah, so React VR doesn't use WebAssembly, but it, it could in the future. It, it uses Asm.js, which is is just a, a a protocol that that some browsers implement. That if if valid JavaScript is written in a certain way, then it will essentially execute it as it'll like kind of parse it as C plus plus. Well, it's I guess it's not C plus plus. It's hmm. it'll it'll like run it as bytecode, I guess, and it's like extremely fast. So there's no dynamic types or anything like that in, in ASM.js. But like if it deops into normal JS, then it it would still be like a valid JavaScript program. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it seems like if the requirements for building a good underlying system that React Native can run on top of, the requirements are basically run C++, which is like, any operating system. So when we talk about like the future, I mean, it seems like this is, we've basically got a new operating system, right? Like, and it's going to be a cross-platform thing. And it's like, cool. Like all of a sudden Facebook came out with this thing that's good. That's going to sneak up on us and be like the new you. Cause like right now, like react native apps is just basically like having to form fit these, you know, the, the, the current generation of mobile operating systems that that developers are kind of fed up with dealing with this, you know, these two platforms and having to deal with web also. And it's just like, re, it seems like React Native kind of cures all of that. So have you thought at all about like what the, you know, assuming React, and I know you, you have high hopes for React in the future. I saw that quote about Guillermo Rausch talking about how, you know, we're going to be exploring React Native and React for the next decade um, or the remainder of this decade, at least. And, I mean, so have you thought about, like, what the, what is the optimal underlying substrate that React would be running on top of? Because surely it's not, like, this alien, like, this alien operating system that React has to bolt itself onto. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important, like, to not underplay the the role of, like, the platform here still. Like, I guess, like, the the actual implementations of things like view and text and image and things like that th- there's a lot there right and so we're actually like react native is is really bootstrapping itself on top of an already like fully rich ui system mm-hmm. that you know that is ui kit on ios and right. and is like the android view system on android and is the dom on the web and and so like those those things are not simple and there's still a lot of work going on there. But I, I think it is a really compelling kind of line to draw in the sand where like you could be a company that said, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna like build as much as we can kind of above this line with this interface. And I think that that could afford a company uh, a lot of, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a nice hedge. Like if if you want to enter into a new platform, all of a sudden it's maybe not that 
hard, right? Like if you want to make a play in like the VR space and it, you like actually didn't have to rewrite a bunch of your application to do that, but you could rewrite like a very select portion that you wanted to kind of utilize the new features of that, of that platform. That that's a really compelling story, I think, you know, and, and, and if there's, if there's something new comes along that, that like, you know, kind of changes things dramatically and, and like, looks like it could be the future, but, but you're not sure. It's really nice to, to not have to feel like you're really clinging on to this platform of the past and that you could, you could just build these primitives, so to speak, and kind of already have this pretty rich experience to start off with, like relatively small investment. And that, I don't think that that's like the reason to use React Native or React Primitives or, or whatever, but I, I think that that's like a really interesting aspect of it. Okay. Well, it's been really fun talking to you. And, you know, we, do, we barely scratched the surface of the stuff I wanted to get to. Like, there's a lot of other material. People might have seen or heard about this thing, React Sketch app, that uh, we didn't get to today. And, uh, you know, you, I know you've also. Got you. I'm sure you could have said some interesting stuff about GraphQL, but uh, people can check out that stuff in the show notes, and uh, maybe we can do another show in the future. This was really fun. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm happy to to talk anytime about those things. There is probably another another show's worth of stuff there. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Well, Leland, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thank you very much, Jeff, for having me. It was fun. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs>